0: The events this past year in Rome have caused great heartburn and heartbreak for the Catholic faithful around the world. What should we make of it? What should we do? Let's talk about it on this Catholic Corner. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to this Catholic Corner, the first Catholic Corner of 2024. And indeed, as we talk about Everything that happened in this last year, 2023, it seems that since the stalwarts of orthodoxy, that of the great theologian, Pope Benedict Sixteenth and the giant of a man, physically and spiritually, the great Australian Cardinal George Pell, when both of these giants left the world stage to enter their heavenly reward at the beginning of 2023, it was as if all the devils in the world had been released because we saw some theologically crazy things happen in 2023, weird pronouncements, confusing explanations. And then ultimately we had the synod of synodality that still to this day, no one can explain what is happening there. And we still have another year to go. They're going to reconvene it for the second year here in 2024. So with all that backdrop and content, I thought it best that we present our first Catholic Corner of 2024 to reset everything and to provide us a very good baseline, a firm, solid foundation of a baseline, a Catholic baseline. So with all that, let's go to our first pull quote from our book. About dawn on the following day, two dark figures were moving along the Appian Way toward the Campania. One of them was Nazareus, the other the Apostle Peter, who was leaving Rome and his martyred co-religionist. The sky in the east was assuming in the light tinge of green, bordered gradually and more distinctly on the lower edge with a saffron color. Silver leaf trees, the white marbles of villas, and the arches of the aqueducts stretching through the plain toward the city were emerging from the shade. The greenness of the sky was clearing gradually and becoming permeated with gold. Then the east began to grow rosy and illuminate the Albion hills, which seemed marvelously beautiful, lily colored, as if formed of rays of light alone. The light was reflected in trembling leaves of trees. In the dwell drops, the haze grew thinner, opening wider and wider views of the plain, on the houses dotting it, on the cemeteries, on the towns, on the group of trees among which stood white columns of temples. The road was empty. The villagers took vegetables to the city, had not succeeded yet, evidently in the harnessing beast to their vehicles. From the stone blocks with which the road was paved, as far as the mountains, there came a low sound from the bark of shoes on the feet of the two travelers. And let's stop here. This is the opening of chapter sixty-nine in the Henry Sinkowitz classic novel Vadis. Now if you don't know who Henry Sinkowitz was, well let me help you there. Henry Sinkowitz was an epic Polish writer, born in eighteen forty six. He grew up in a Poland that was ruled by the Russian-installed Congress in his home country. And then by the late 1870s, he had traveled to the United States where he had sent back travel essays that gained him popularity with his Polish readers. Eventually, he would begin writing novels that made him one of the most popular Polish writers in the 19th and 20th centuries. It was in 1905 that he won the Nobel Prize in Literature. Of his books in Poland, he was best known for his trilogy series, a series of historical novels set in the 17th century Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth. Those titles were With Fired and Sword, The Deluge, and Sir Michael. These three works stirred up a Polish nationalism and patriotism that was pushing the envelope in that time and context. Written between eighteen eighty four and eighteen eighty eight, these novels would weave fact and fiction and and put and help the Poles know that their patriotism and their history was important. Sinkowitz later said that one of the goals of his writing of the trilogy was to encourage and strengthen Polish national confidence against those occupying powers of Russia. Then comes our book that we're covering today, Quo Vadis, written in 1896. The story is set in early Christianity, Rome, under the Emperor Nero's reign. As with all great novels, there is a love story, and why not? (laughs) It tells of a young Christian woman, Legia, and Marcus Vinicius who was a Roman patrician. It's a captivating story. It's very well written with plenty of twists and turns. And if you like love stories, this is a classic. It's a classic otherwise too. But it's especially so if you're a Christian, as you would love the details of how life was lived under the persecution of a Roman emperor in the infancy of the religion that was just getting its sea legs, so to speak. Obviously, it's a historical novel, so you can't take everything as fact, but it's a good portrayal, and many historians have pointed to it as a good portrayal of what life could have been like for any early Christian. But let's go back to the book to hear more of this great writing. Then the sun appeared over the line of hills, but at once a wonderful vision struck the apostles' eyes. It seemed to him that the golden circle, instead of rising in the sky, moved down from the heights and was advancing on the road. Peter stopped and asked, Seest thou that brightness approaching us? I see nothing, replied Nazareus. But Peter shaded his eyes with his hand and said, After a while, some, some figure is coming in the gleam of the sun, but not the slightest sound of steps reached their ears. It was perfectly still all around them. Nazareus saw only that the trees were quivering in the distance, as if someone were shaking them, and the light was spreading more broadly over the plain. He looked with wonder at the apostle. Rabbi, what ails thee? cried he with alarm. The pilgrim's staff fell from Peter's hands to the earth. His eyes were looking forward motionless, his mouth open. His face was depicted in astonishment, delight, and rapture. He threw himself on his knees, his arms stretched forward, and this cry left his lips, O oh Christ, O oh Christ. He fell with his face to the earth, as if kissing someone's feet. The silence continued long. Then were heard the, wo- the words of the aged man broken by sobs. Quo domini. Where are you going, Lord? Nazareth did not hear the answer, but to Peter's ears came a sad and sweet voice which said, If thou desert my people, I am going to Rome to be crucified a second time. The apostle lay on the ground, his face in the dust, without motion or speech. It seemed to Nazareth that he had fainted or was dead. But he rose at last, seized the staff with his trembling hands and turned without a word toward the seven hills of the city. The boy, seeing this, repeated as an echo. Quo vadis domini. To Rome, said the apostle in a low voice and he returned paul john linus and all the faithful received him with amazement and the alarm was the greater since at daybreak just after his departure petroians had surrounded miriam's house and searched for the apostle but to every question he answered only with delight and peace i have seen the lord and that same evening he went to the Ostian cemetery to teach and baptize those who wished to bathe in the water of life. And thenceforth he went there daily, and after him went increasing numbers. It seemed that out of every tear of a martyr, new confessors were born, and that every groan on the arena found an echo in a thousand of beasts. Caesar was swimming in blood, Rome and the whole pagan world was mad, but those who had enough of the transgression and the madness, those who were trampled upon, those whose lives were misery and oppression, all the way down, all the sad, all the unfortunate came to hear the wonderful tidings of God who out of love for men had given himself to be crucified and redeemed their sins. When they had found a God whom they could love They had found that with which society of the time could not give anyone happiness and love and Peter understood that neither Caesar nor his legions could overcome the living truth that they could not overwhelm it with tears or blood and that now its victory was beginning. He understood with equal force why the Lord had turned him back on that road. That city of pride, of crime, of wickedness and power was beginning to be his city. The double capital from which would flow out upon the world government of souls and bodies. Oh, such great writing. I hope you like it as much as I did reading it again for you. There's nothing better than good historical writing. And obviously we don't know if this actual event took place. Uh, There's much speculation. Um, It's come down through oral history and oral tradition that it did happen, but it's not recorded in uh, the Bible. And, We do have, by tradition, we do have a church along the Appian Way that uh, it is said marks the spot where Peter encountered our Lord and this event took place. But again, we don't know if that's fact or fiction. I think it provides for wonderful historical writing. And again, I hope you liked it as much as I did reading it again for you. I read this book Way, way back at the at my brother's recommendation. Didn't know who Henry Sinkowitz was. Uh, my brother had read it and recommended it to me, and it was a fascinating tale. I was intrigued, loved every minute of it. It is a classic, so I wanted to share that with you. And as we transition, let us ask some relevant questions, especially to ourselves. What does this say about our own time period? Now, many believe with the recent document coming from the Holy Father and his dicastery, the doctrine of the faith that allows for the blessing of same-sex couples. And now that there's a further clarification document that has been released, there's a great deal of confusion about this, all of this. And frankly, there's been a great deal of confusion that has been piled on top of more and more confusion for the last 10 years of this pontificate. I thought the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops missed a golden opportunity to seek clarity and to help out the U.S. Catholic faithful, but even good bishops uh, like my own here in Columbus, Ohio, were led astray to say that this document doesn't say what it clearly does say. I urge you to read the document. I'll put a link in the show notes. And other bishops throughout the world have come to a different decision. Uh, They seem to have more clarity or see clearly what this document actually does say. Many of these are especially the African bishops as a unity. The African bishops are probably the most persecuted Christians in the world, perhaps save China. Since the Holy father abandoned Chinese Catholics with his secret agreement with the, current administration of China, the communist administration, but the Africans have seen clearly what this Holy Father is doing and the doublespeak that's happening and where he is taking the church in as a unity, as a conference, they have said no. So this all begs the question, what are we to do? What can we do when the church is going in a wrong direction that we think it should go? Well, if we are Christian, and most especially if we are Catholic, we have a long tradition of what to do. Certainly from our Catholic theology and from the Bible we know from our baptism that we are named children of God, as Saint or as Second Peter one four tells us, for through baptism we are partakers of the divine nature. The baptized members are of a, quote, chosen race, God's own people. You can see 1 Peter 2.9 and 1 Corinthians 12.12 12 for that, as well as Romans 12.4 and 5. Now, if we were to pull back in a, in a much wider view, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, we know that God made each and every human being in his image and likeness. See Genesis 127 and 128. And he pronounced all of that as not only good, but very good. It's a key word. He said it was not only good, but very good. In fact, let's grab that quote. Pulling out my Didache Bible. Uh, my Ignatius Bible edition from the Midwest Theological Forum and from Ignatius Press, which I believe is a very good translation. We're turning to Genesis one twenty-six. Here we go. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed, which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, a sixth day. So human creation is the pinnacle of God's creation. So as the pinnacle of God's creation and with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, his son, to redeem us and essentially create create us to be children of the father, is completely different than any other religion. No other religion makes this bold of a promise to be children of God. So we can't fall into the blind spot of religious indifferentism where every religion is the same as the other. They all just have their own way of getting to God. That's problematic. So we have to be on guard to that. But as human persons can say that they are children of God for having been created by God, that takes some humility, and that's a good thing. But then for Christians, through the sacrament of baptism, we are further marked, indelibly marked ourselves as children of God, infused with his grace and upon receiving those graces as we live our lives continually as long as we don't sin against God, our father. So as children of God, who see his physical church on earth and its leadership going a different direction than the way it should be going. What are we to do? It's the perennial question. Well, our Lord gave us some great advice in this area. He said, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. In fact, let's go to our dedicated Bible again to pull that quote uh, from Matthew sixteen twenty-one. Here we go. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not on the side of God, but of men. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And so we know to follow Christ is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So we know what's in store for us, which is suffering. Suffering is going to come. And just like when our earthly father does some knucklehead moves and makes dumb decisions, you certainly can't abandon your earthly father because you love him. He helped to bring you into the world, but for your sake, you suffer and you pray that our Lord will give him the guidance and grace to change directions, to change his heart and to make better decisions. So we too, Catholics and Christians, when we see the leadership in Rome, making dumb decisions and judgments that don't align with the church's mission of saving souls while here on earth and by not following the commandments of Christ and his teachings, then we have to suffer and keep denying ourselves, and keep taking up our cross with faith and offering these things up for our Lord and for the leadership in Rome. So in today's Catholic corner, as more and more confusion and bad decisions are sure to come out of Rome with certain decisions, especially with the synod of synodality. Let us follow the example of so many saints who down through the ages continued to hear the words of Christ, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And with this great modern classic written by Henry Sinkowitz, we will remember those famous lines written in all of human literature. He threw himself on his knees, his arms stretched forward, and this cry left his lips, O Christ, O Christ. He fell with his face to the earth as if kissing someone's feet. The silence continued long, and there were heard the words of the aged man, broken by sobs, Quo Vadis Domini, where are you going, Lord? And we will know the answer. If thou desert my people, I'm going to Rome to be crucified a second time. To our leadership in Rome, the Christian faithful all over the world is asking the same question now. Quo vadis Domini?